Loving God, we thank you for your grace and for your love and for your goodness. And Lord, we, we uh, now want to lift up those people around us. We want to lift them to you, Lord, and we ask that you'll bless them. Bless them, Lord, with the word that they need to hear this morning. Bless them, Lord, with a deeper understanding of your love and your grace. Bless them, Lord, with some freedom that they might not have experienced before. Bless them, Lord, in a way that continues the work that you have begun in them. Lord, uh, we want to see them fruitful and living out their life and their purpose for you. So, Lord, we, we think of the person left and the right, before and behind. Lord, will you do a work in them this morning as you will do a work in us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're in a, a very short series that ends today. It's got For the House. And we're basically talking about uh, church and what church is about. And so um, uh, we're, we're exploring today... I've, I've titled it a long time ago, Love That Overflows, but really what I'm going to be talking to you today is about unity and how uni- being unified together with God is a powerful thing. Now, you and I have been sold a dream, uh, been sold a dream for quite some time, and it's a secular dream. And I, I, there's lots of things you could blame. I blame Star Trek. Um, and communists. No, 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 don't, don't do that. Uh, I blame Star Trek. It's a, it's a sci-fi series from the 60s. If you don't like sci-fi, that's okay. I love it. Um, I love it because it gives <clears throat> an opportunity to explore things that you would normally not get an opportunity to explore because you can create a whole new world and a whole new understanding in a whole new environment in which to explore topics. That's why I love sci-fi. And there was a guy by the name of, uh, uh, um, oh, his name's just slipped out, uh, Gene. Thank you. And, uh, and in the 60s, he had this secular dream that he wanted to impart upon the world. It was a non-religious secular dream, and the dream is this that through progress, we will become more enlightened and better people. Through the concept of progress, that that over time, we'll actually evolve into better people, more loving people, more kind people. In fact, in his story of reality, we will actually become a shining beacon of goodness to the rest of the universe. (laughs) and that's the secular dream that we have that the world will get better it's a a a progressive uh, socialist utopian dream that if the people of the earth can just put aside their differences be unified together under something under goodness, I don't think, in my research for this, I don't think I could really find what they want to come under. But if, they could come, if we could come under it, then we would just be wonderful people with a wonderful society that everyone gets hugs, everyone is loved, 
and everything is okay. And you know what? On the outset, I look at that and I go, hallelujah. I do. I look at it and go, why wouldn't you want a world where everyone gets along? Why wouldn't you want a world where everyone is unified, where everyone is loved? But the problem is, is that their foundation is poor. Uh, a guy called Mark Sayers, who does a lot of um, uh, Christian commentary on, on, um, on culture, says that the socialist dream wants the fruit of the kingdom without the king. The socialist dream is to want the fruits of the kingdom, the benefits of love, joy, peace, kindness, goodness, and self-control, but without the Messiah, without the king. It wants all the benefits of a godly revival without God. That's the secular progressive dream that we live under and that you and I are being sold. And because the progressive um, secular dream does that, it says that therefore anything that holds us back to an old style of thinking needs to be rejected and pushed aside so progress can be made. And that includes you and I in the church. And because we have an anchor in Scripture, because we have an anchor in our love for God, because we have an anchor, we become a threat to those who have a different dream of a kingdom without a king. And it comes with a poor foundation of no substance. And if we look at it, we will start to see that that dream that we've been sold since the 60s is now coming to its fruition. That we're starting to see that the dream that was sold of a kingdom without a king is starting to crumble. Because we're told that technology is good, but if you've got any millennials around your life, you know that you can sit in a room... And not have a conversation because they're all like this. I have a young adult's Bible study. And for the first 15 minutes, they're like this. And I'm looking at them. I take pictures of them. So I can show them what they look like. And they're sharing stuff with each other, but no one's talking. And we see the anxiety that's starting to come within parents' lives and within grandparents' lives over the access to technology that our young people, our children have and the dangers of being abused that come through it. There has never been a time in the world that we have had more access to good food, yet we're probably the most unhealthy we've ever been. Progress, for the sake of progress, doesn't always add up to a good thing. And so because there is no foundation in this secular dream, what they've tried to do is create unity through legislation. 
that where they can legislate morality, tell people how they should act, what they should say, what is, uh, what is acceptable, they legislate it and say that's what you've got to do to keep this unity dream alive. And if you're not prepared to sit in that dream, then what we're going to do is belittle you and tarnish you so that you can no longer have a voice within society. And we will take our legislative morality and our belittling and we will retrospectively put it upon your life. So I was reading in the newspaper this morning that there is a, a movement at foot for the John Wayne Airport in the States to be removed from being called John Wayne because of an article that was written about him in 1971, get this, in Playboy magazine, a reputable, you know, magazine. And, and the reports that he, he was put on there were ones that were homophobic or were racist and da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And I'm thinking, what? Like, I, I don't, and, and I read his statements, I don't agree with it, but this was 1971, where the world thought totally differently. Doesn't mean that it was right, but how can you take the morals from 2019 and backdate them all the way back to 1971 from one article in a men's magazine? But because they want to legislate morality, because they want to make their point, they'll go and they'll dig this stuff up and they'll bring it. Now, the secular dream is so important and, the, and because unity is so important. And they want this dream to come alive because there is power in unity. And we see that in the Bible, in the very first, uh, first stories of the Bible in Genesis. In about chapter 11, there's a little story where the people of the world get together and they start building a tower. It's called the Tower of Babel or the Tower of Babylon. So they can be like God. And God comes down and looks at them and goes... These people are all speaking the same word. They're unified. If they're unified, nothing is impossible for them. And so he disturbs their language. Because whether unity is done in a healthy way or an unhealthy way, it is powerful. And so the secular dream is to try and legislate us into a godless unity. into a, a kingdom fruit without a king. But God has a different idea. Because the fruits of a secular unity start to come unraveled when we start to see tribalism and nationalism start to come to the fore and even Trumpism come to the fore as a, as a rejection of that secular unity. But God has a different idea. God wants a genuine unity, a kingdom with a king, the fruits of the revival with the God. And, and Paul starts to speak of this, and, and I want us to draw into this a little bit, has this idea of what it really means to be unified. 
So it comes from Philippians 2, 1 to 11, if you're playing high. This is the message translation. I just thought it was the most helpful for today. And, um, and this is what it says. If you've, if you've gotten anything out of following Christ, and so most translations says, therefore, which means go and have a look at the bit beforehand. And the bit beforehand is uh, living a life worthy of the gospel. So if you're living your life worthy of the gospel, therefore, if you've got anything out of following Christ, if his love has made any difference in your life whatsoever, if being in community with the Spirit means anything to you, if you have a heart, if you care, then do me a favour. Agree with each other. Love each other. Be deep-spirited friends. Don't push your, way, push your way to the front. Don't sweet, your way, sweet talk your way to the top. Put yourself aside and help others get ahead. Don't be obsessed with getting your own advantage. Forget yourself long enough to lend a helping hand. Think of yourselves the way that Christ Jesus thought of himself. He had equal status with God but didn't think so much of himself that he had to cling to the advantages of the status no matter what. Not at all. When the time came, he set aside the privilege of deity and took on the status of a slave and became a human. Having become human, he stayed human and was an incredible humbling, it was an incredibly humbling process. He didn't claim special privileges. Instead, he lived a selfless, obedient life and then died a selfless obedient death and the worst kind of death of and that is a crucifixion and because of that obedience God lifted him high and honored him far above anyone or anything else so that all created things in heaven and earth even those long ago dead and buried will bow and worship before Jesus And all called out the praise that he is the master of all and the glorious honour of God the Father. So here you have Paul's understanding of how we get the kingdom with the king, how we get Christian unity with the right aspects and the right concepts going. And there's just a couple of things that I want to draw out before you all fade through heat exhaustion. The, the uh, first thing I want to, to, to draw out is, is, is if you have any love for God, if, you have, uh, you, if you're in fellowship with him at all, what he's saying is that unity needs to start with your relationship with God, that you are a son and a daughter of the Most High God. It is that our, our relationship with God that enables us then to go and look beyond ourselves and to another. He goes on and says, and if you being in the community of the Spirit, then be united and love one another. And I want to stick on the community of the Spirit. Once we realise that we are God's sons and daughters, I think it is the community of the Spirit that brings about Christian unity in our lives. It is our joint experience, if you like, that joins us together of God's Spirit. 
It is God who lives in us, who guides us, who teaches us, that joins us together. It's not doctrine, it's not rules, but it's an understanding that we all have God's Spirit inside of us that makes unity possible. I like to put it this way. I, I put it to a, a couple I was counselling for marriage. I can't remember which couple. I've got a few on the go at the moment. And I said that the relationship with God is so important in marriage. I said, because Kelly and I love each other, but boy, we need God in the middle because on the occasion, the really rare occasion that I'm wrong, I need the Spirit of God, not just Kelly, to tell me that I'm wrong. And on the ultra-rare occasion that Kelly's wrong, she needs to hear the voice of God. And when we come to make decisions together, we've got to trust that each of us is listening to the Spirit of God. And although we might have different opinions on things, and we definitely have different theology on things, it doesn't matter because what unites us is not just our love for each other, but the knowledge that we both hear from God and God is a part of what we're doing. And so when we make decisions, when we we step into new areas of our life, it is doing it not because I want to, not because Kelly wants to, because all three of us are in agreement together, the Spirit, Kelly and I. And I think it's the same for the church. That we don't have to believe the same theology. We don't all have to believe in the same thing. But when we trust each other that the Spirit of God is at work and that the Spirit is speaking to you and that you can trust that the Spirit is speaking to me, then we can be unified in a way that the world can never be. But if we doubt that the Spirit of God can speak in a brother and sister, then unity is hard. Because we might not understand why they believe what they believe. And we might dismiss them. And we might not be able to put ourselves aside and, and be about their good. But if we have a shared experience of the Spirit, it, it anchors us. It anchors us in the reality of God that it's not just us in a club. It is us sitting together, discerning what the Spirit is saying to each of us and moving together forward as a community. And so when you think about the elders, I want to encourage you to think about them as people who who hear the Spirit of God. And although you might not always uh, believe that what they, um, the decisions they make are the right ones for the church, you've got to trust that they can... Hear the Spirit of God like you can hear the Spirit of God and that is what unites us. It's never going to be about the law. It's never going to be about dogma and what we believe. It's only going to be in the joint understanding that the Spirit of God is at work in each of us. 
And that is why every year we'll have a time where we'll pray. We'll, we'll hold a, a sessions or a conference where we'll pray for the Holy Spirit to come in. That's why when you do a, an Alpha course, there'll always be a Holy Spirit thing going on. That's when uh, I had a, the joy of going to the Life in the Spirit, Spirit course with, over at Freedom yesterday and we were praying for the presence of the Holy Spirit because the presence of God does something in our lives. It transforms us, it renews us, it gets rid of selfishness and it propels us towards what God wants for us. The rest of the verse was about us being like Jesus. Who even though he had the stature of God and could claim that, he humbled himself and became a servant at all. And as I read that, I go, you know what? Jesus did all that, but he had this connection to the Father that kept him anchored. The Spirit joined them. And, and John's Gospel puts it wonderfully. It says, I, I only do what I see my Father in heaven doing. It is the Spirit of God that descended upon him at baptism that gave him the courage and the fortitude to see his sacrifice right through to his death. It brought him to a place of humility and moving forward. So if we want to do that, everything that God wants us to do in this church, if we want to overflow for love for each other, if we want to serve each other, we want to put ourselves aside for the kingdom of God, it starts with the presence of the Spirit in our lives. It starts with opening ourselves up again or for the first time for God's Spirit to come upon us and in us and transform us. We don't want to play the secular dream of unity through common interest. The secular dream of unity through, through legislation or unity through belittling others. We want unity with our experience of the love of God inside of each of us. And I have been, well, I'm increasingly unsurprised now that um, people in church have been in church all their lives or for a long time and have not experienced the presence of God in their lives. The love, the grace, the joy, and the forgiveness. And I want to say that if you're struggling with being unified with us, Let's start with how we go with your presence of God within you. Because God's presence will always lead you towards forgiveness, repentance, honesty, and healing. God's Spirit will always lead you towards forgiveness, repentance, honesty, and healing. He'll always want to do a work in you before he'll do a work in anyone else. So how open are you to the presence of God in your life this morning? Whether you're young and whether you're old, uh, is there a hunger in you 
to have this presence of God that unites us and that will help us grow and move forward as a church. And so I want to pray for that for you now. So if you're able, would you like to get to your feet? And I want to ask you that if you want a refreshing of the Holy Spirit, you want the Holy Spirit to come upon you for the first time, you want to feel the presence of God in your life, then simply place your hands upon your chest and say, here I am, God. I don't want to believe this dream that the secular world has for us. I want to believe the dream that you have for us, that we can be a church together in love and in grace. So let's pray. Loving God, pour out your spirit upon your church right now. And for those people who want to feel your presence and, and know your love and your grace upon their lives, Lord, fill them right now. Hear their hearts cry. Forgive their sins and step into their life in a powerful way. Lord, help us to be a church that overflows with love, not out of requirement, not out of duty, but out of genuine love for each other that comes from the Spirit. So loving God, bless these people. Encourage them. Pour out your presence upon them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.